0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the pre-grand final edition of the Footyology Podcast. Big week and a big few days in Melbourne town about to happen. How are you, Finey?
1: I'm wrapped.
0: Yes, can you expand on that? Well, it's it's, Thursday,
1: 25 degrees, expected top today. It feels like the grand final, won't on grand final day, but today I feel as though, I don't know, I just feel as though there's great footing in the air, and let's be honest, we're all searching for a great final, so let's hope we get it on Saturday.
0: Yeah, we need one, I've got fingers crossed. The uh, It's one of those grand final weeks where people are focusing on the forecast a fair bit, because there's this uh, belief that rain might... Uh, disadvantage West Coast and advantage Collingwood. Uh, Which is ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know if it's quite that sort of lopsided. And also, the last forecast I looked at, it looks like it might not rain as much as people were saying. So,
1: And, and didn't Maison de Cox have a huge part to play in the win over Richmond? Now, surely if any play is going to be disadvantaged by rain or inclement conditions... The first on the list would be Mason Cox.
0: Yeah, wasn't preliminary final pretty fine conditions, though?
1: Yeah, I'm saying. Um, but I'm saying if, if it's wet, people are saying it disadvantages.
0: Oh, I search your man. Yeah, sorry. It, sorry, it disadvantages
1: yeah, yeah. the West Coast Eagles. Well, yeah. the first player to come a cropper if the conditions are really poor yeah. would be a player that played a major role in Collingwood getting there in uh, the American.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, look, we're going to preview the game uh, in in full detail a little bit later. We'll start with some sort of news of the week. Um, Good story the Herald Sun had yesterday about the ticketing for the grand final. I know some people roll their eyes about these stories, but it's probably because the info is never very specific. However, the Herald Sun stumbled onto a leaked email which gave the precise ticketing details of last year's grand final, and uh, it was a bit of an eye-opener, because look, I I concede the AFL have tried harder to free up more tickets for members of competing clubs, but when you see the complete breakdown of where they all go, you'd still think, oh wow, you know, there's still quite a lot that could go elsewhere, so In a nutshell, here's the breakdown. You get, uh, this is last year's grand final anyway. At 34,000, uh, divided by the members of the two clubs, 25,000 MCC members, which is a lot. I don't know if, you know, people are aware that's how many members the MCC has will, who get grand final tickets, 6,000 to AFL members.
1: That's club support. So if you're an AFL member, You're guaranteed... A full AFL member with club support, you're guaranteed a ticket.
0: And uh, 3,000 for Medallion Club members. Now, Medallion Club is at Eddie Head Stadium, and one of the perks is you get a guaranteed grand final ticket. Now, that still leaves a bit. There are 16,000 tickets that go to, quote, AFL entitlements, contractual obligations, unquote. They include... 103 tickets to legal associates.
1: I love that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so they don't get sued.
0: 108 tickets are split between 16 AFL club presidents. So it's about six each. So which
1: two two club presidents
0: don't get... Well, I assume they get more. The competing club presidents get more. So that's what I was assuming. 7,281 tickets to, quote, Corporate sale functions. Unquote. That's the one I hate. A thousand and forty-three tickets to corporate partners. That's so, fair
1: enough. That's that's you know if you're a heavy heavy sponsor of the AFL, you've
0: you've got to get tickets to the big show. One hundred and twenty-four to past AFL commissioners. <laughs> <laughs> they can't be that many. They must be and partners. Twenty-five to government affiliates, whatever that means. The
1: is that the ambassador
0: from no. Nauru? And oh yeah, what about the prime minister of Nauru? He's a piece of work. And <laughs> uh, one hundred and eighteen to licensing. Don't ask me what that is, but that total, the, those specific amounts I just read out, that all adds up to another oh, ten thousand or so.
1: But, you know, 7,000 of them – so 7,000 of those that corporate – if you. If
0: 7,281 corporate sale functions. Yeah, so
1: that's if you spend $2,000 for a lunch that gets you
0: in there. Is that that one? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, I, I hate that. I, I just reckon Upselling. that is terrible. Oh. I know they've cut down on uh, allocations to non-competing clubs and the – um. Last year the allocations to clubs ranged from eight hundred to hundred and fifty in one case, presumably that was Gold Coast or somewhere. But um
1: So every one of their members got to
0: go. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> uh yeah, aren't they in the state? But you know, there you go. I mean they're split that many different ways. I mean the 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 biggest problem is the fact that you've got twenty you know, a quarter of the capacity is Melbourne cricket club members. You've got the AFL members, Medan Club members. That alone comes to 34,000, which is as many as the two competing clubs get. So don't you look at that and think, you know, we can still do better than we do?
1: I'm not aghast at the numbers that are afforded to corporate partners. The 25,000 that go to MCC members is a large number. And it's because the game is played at the MCG. It's a, it, it's questionable. To me, It, it's why people become MCC members. It can't change because, you know, they've been on waiting lists for half a lifetime. And it really is why parents put unborn children on there, etc. But it does lend itself to saying that the crowd is... Hardly going to be throbbing with supporters from either club. The numbers don't quite add. I mean, there's a big shortfall, isn't there? Thirty-four thousand to the competing clubs, about the same number to everything that you've said. That takes us to around seventy thousand. Who are the other thirty thousand?
0: Um, well, the sixty. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, but that, this...
1: that's the the amount that go to non competing clubs.
0: Yeah, well, that I reckon that
1: number should be zero.
0: The non-competing clubs. Well, why
1: should members of non-competing clubs have tickets to the grand final? I don't understand why that's, and that's where we've we've had doggies done. You know, where clubs have their own corporate functions and try to make you know their breakfasts and their lunches. Yeah, yeah. And that's well, a, maybe, that's maybe, a real upsell. Maybe
0: some of them go into the 7,281. That's the figure that stands out for me. I mean, you know, look, the broadcast rights now bring in so much money. The clubs, if they're in trouble, get handouts. It's not like they're... They need that money to cor- survive. Correct. So there's 7,000 more tickets that could be freed up. Yes. Um, so that, to me, is the big one. And, look, this is only going to get worse and worse. Richmond have topped... A hundred thousand, didn't they? Hundred, yeah, a hundred thousand members this year. Um, yeah, you know, Essendon's got seventy thousand. I mean, it's yeah. Well, first of all, you know those numbers are now. Um... Well, they've got animals in them. No,
1: it's not that. <laughs> but you know, three game memberships, three game memberships, and stuff, you know, so, yeah. memberships. The new Richmond membership, the drive past membership. If you drive <laughs> past Punt Road any time during the year, you'll remember.
0: So, <laughs> and you get a Big Mac.
1: So, I really like. The system, it's, it's old fashioned, but it means something. And I think it's, it's clubs would benefit from this, is and that is how any, you know, it should go to full members. And the longer you've been a, a continuous full member, the, f- the further up the queue you are. Yeah. So there was this situation during the week where there was obviously, with much fanfare and media presence. A chap who's been a member for Collingwood for of Collingwood for seventy four years.
0: Was his name Digger?
1: No, he's he was a lovely old bloke. He couldn't get grand final tickets, so of course he was ceremoniously in front of uh, clicking cameras given two tickets by Eddie Maguire. But in the natural run of things, that seventy four year old member couldn't get a ticket. Yeah. So
0: Yeah, no, I like that length of membership. Yeah, I think that's full membership. I'd be sweet. I'm up to, I think I'm up to 45 odd years. See,
1: I ruined it. See, you're a good boy because I I was a full St Kilda member uh, before ever touched by the media for 30 years. Then I became an AFL St Kilda Club support. So that is the same thing. But then I joined the media and got... um, Not lazy. Not lazy. I got a bit... Uncle Scroogey, and because I had a media pass, yeah. I didn't get a St Kilda membership.
0: Well, I've, I've had a membership and a um, reserve seat as well since 1980, and um, until the last year, that for 30-odd years, they've effectively just been a donation to the club because I'm never able to use them.
1: But... So, so then what happens? The club, you have to take that up. Formally, or it, it, it lapses and somebody no, else No, gets it? no, no,
0: no. It, it they it's automatically renewed unless you tell them otherwise. But my but there's
1: not an empty seat where Rowan should have
0: sat. Uh yeah, there is. But uh, my um daughter has a, a seat. My uh, sister has a seat, and my ex wife has a seat as well. So they still go every week and take friends and stuff. So so but you there,
1: you if you took that seat to be with your ex wife.
0: Um. Well, we're okay. You know, we, okay. we, we don't. We've gone. We've sat at the same game a few times. Uh, not often, but uh, no, it's all good. Twenty yeah, first century, fine. There's a lot of blended family stuff going on. <laughs> and I, I take Abby, of course. We've been several times this year. Um, all right, that's the ticket. I go with my current wife. That's. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Natalie. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Some player movement stuff. Uh, the the big names sort of emerging this week, Dylan Shield, Jesse Hogan, Stephen May, and Rory Lobb. So, in a nutshell, uh, talk about a potential deal that sees Jesse Hogan go to Fremantle, Lockie Neal go to Brisbane, and Melbourne become a third party in that, perhaps, picking up... A couple of Fremantle draft picks for Jesse Hogan. Uh, interesting. It's, um, I think Melbourne would be less wedded to Jesse Hogan now than they were perhaps six months ago. Uh, Shield has been courted, who he's a free agent next year. Doesn't that give you an idea that GWS have been around a fair while now? Sheal been courted by St Kilda, Essen and Carlton and Hawthorne reportedly. Uh, wouldn't mind him at your club.
1: Yeah, look, his price is. It's a good player. He's right up there. He's by look. It's been pointed out that he's a, he's become a sort of outside player at GWS. I wouldn't read too much into the role played at GWS because of their incredibly strong midfield and ability to assign players roles that maybe at other clubs wouldn't be so easily easily given in other words he really does play second receiver with Canilio and Callan Ward doing the hard inside work but he doesn't strike me as a player that couldn't get his hands dirty or his hair must i think he's a great pickup he wants he, he not wants he's commanding over a million a year so it's top end money we're talking about the same money as Gaff, the same money that Josh Kelly was being offered to go to North Melbourne. St Kilda are willing to pay that. Uh, whether or not Hawthorne, Carlton and Essendon are going to pay that, Carlton could if they wanted to. Hawthorne are also courting Wingard, so I think it depends how the marbles fall there. And I'm not sure Essendon can compete at that top end $1.2 million a year type salary. So... It'll be a choice. GWS, by the way, are willing to let him go. They've stated during the week, they stated, I think, yesterday, that um, they're happy for him to have discussions with other clubs.
0: Do you think um, half of his price tag is because he bears a striking resemblance to Ben Affleck?
1: Yes, that is the main reason. Um, Jennifer Aniston has been involved
0: in. Carl's not listening. I thought (laughs) I would get a smile out of Carl from that one, but he switched off.
1: Lopez, what's. He's, who's Athlete's partner's been? Aniston oh, I and, don't
0: know. I lose track of him. I just run that one by Carl. Don't, don't you think Dylan Shield looks like Ben Athlete?
1: And Carlos, who's his partner? He's a dead was,
0: ringer for him.
1: Is it Garner? Wasn't it? I think so. He was Ben for. Anyhow, I'm not going to talk about And ben we'll Affleck. be back
0: with entertainment tonight. Okay, so seriously, though. Um, I've He's a, a dead ringer for him.
1: Mate. I've got a big deal. I've got a bit of um, intel on Dylan Shield. Yeah, quick through his through his father, um, not directly through me, through a third party. And Dylan has apparently stated that he between Carlton and St Kilda, who are the teams probably offering the most money, sees far greater upside in the Carlton list than the St Kilda list.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I sort of get that. Yeah, so do I. Yeah,
1: but maybe St Kilda's becoming quite active in trade news. They they picked up a, I think a handy play yesterday. In Dean Kent from Melbourne.
0: Okay, so he's nominated St Kilda. Hasn't well, he? he
1: told Melbourne at their their exit interviews. Yeah. At the end of the season, that he's requesting a trade to St Kilda. St Kilda have offered him three years, and Melbourne said that they'll facilitate that. So. Take is, it as written that Kent will play Is the danger
0: that he becomes yet another uh, sort of medium-sized flanker type, of which St Kilda seem to have about 30?
1: No, no, I think he's viewed as a, a strong-bodied-on baller with some breakaway speed, which St Kilda really
0: need. Okay. Yeah, well, you can say why then in terms of opportunity, because that sort of flanker type is yeah. what he's... Been reduced to at Melbourne.
1: Yeah, uh, look in the last couple, he's played over sixty games, but in the last two years, injury has kept him off the field quite a bit—hamstring and shoulder injury. He actually played the last seven home and away games this year.
0: Did his shoulder shoulder and, again yeah. in
1: the last game?
0: Um, or a couple more? Uh, Stephen May. Now, I had a short chat to Steve at Mungrook last night. He was a guest on Mungrook. Um He's been pretty up front, I think, about how he's feeling. Uh, and I don't want to... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to sort of speak on his behalf, but, you know, having spoken to him, I got the distinct impression he's definitely headed somewhere else. And, uh, in fact, I'll be taking him for a tour of the hangar after we leave here finally today. Well,
1: Essendon's right in the running for that one. Well, he be perfect for Essendon? I think Essendon has to be the team he goes to, because... The suggested teams are Essendon, mm. Hawthorne, Collingwood. I mean, Collingwood would be great, but could they afford him?
0: Yeah, well, you said that about Essendon and Shield, though. I mean, may it be a reasonable price. Yeah, but so. he wouldn't
1: be 1.2, 1.3, would he? No.
0: Yeah, to tell you what's interesting. I, I don't think I'm speaking out of school, but be, he was saying that um, after Essendon played Gold Coast... Hurley and uh, Hooker both went up to him and said, "Oh, so what's the story for next year?" <laughs> <laughs> and I think it'd um, be great for Essendon. Yeah, well, I th- very physical, good player. Yeah, yeah. and and it, it would mean Essen could play Hooker permanently as a forward. Yeah. You know, just get some certainty down there.
1: And and just the way Hurley plays, I think you want. That big body, oh yeah, backman, For him, it, it allows Hurley, Free Hurley the, yeah, it, ha- it allows Hurley the freedom of movement that sometimes this year was exploited by the opposition.
0: Yep, no, spot on. And uh, Rory Wobb uh, suggestions he may end up back at uh, Frio. Um, would he be good for Frio? I think. He oh would.
1: yeah, would he? Would he ever? I mean, to rely on. Look, they've got they. Sanderlands for some reason is playing on But let's just say their ruckman is Sean Darcy Yeah Big bodied ruckman, that's okay Yeah To get a chop out from Rory Lobb And then from Rory Lobb To have a forward line of Lobb and Hogan You can build a team Because their recreated forward line of McCarthy and Kirsten Was the most misguided attempt to move forward Probably of any club in the last few years So almost perfect that to me is a really good setup, Hogan and Lop.
0: Yeah, it would have to be as a key forward, I think, because, like you say, Sandilands plays on. They've got Darcy. They've got another young ruckman who hasn't played yet, uh, Meek. Uh, Lloyd Meek. Yeah. I think he was close to playing at one stage. Isn't so.
1: he that other big bodied forward they've got?
0: Brennan Cox. Yeah, again. He's good. I don't
1: mind him. Yeah, but he just doesn't get enough of the ball. I mean, he's.
0: they got another big guy, too. Uh,
1: Scott. Scott Jones the, a bit
0: like Baby Huey, the
1: mature aged <laughs> the mature age ruckman who's still growing.
0: So they've got all the, they're, they're not short of tools, are they? Really? No, but
1: what they need is quality tools. And yeah. Honestly, Hogan and Lob.
0: Well, you start to
1: think that, and you know that Ross Lyon, with players like that, it almost closes the door on poor old Scott Jones and Brendan Cox and Lloyd Meek because he's he really will play the number one players, and they clearly will, will supersede the aforementioned. So they would be quite formidable with those players in the team, Lobb and Hogan, I
0: would have thought. Yeah. Although we need uh, we need Jesse Hogan and Dylan Shield to be playing for the same club so they can do a remake of Hogan's Heroes with Ben Affleck. And he can go, Hogan!
1: Appalling. Yeah, but no, that was.
0: I don't but, even know why I did that.
1: But but we know what all the headlines will be from all these all these movements, don't we? Um No. Gold Coast Captain may be on the move. Yeah, yeah. Where will Rory lob? Yeah, good. West Coast midfielder says, she'll be right. <laughs> yeah. <You laughs> I mean, mean GWS midfielder. Oh, sorry, sorry. Pardon me. GWS midfielder says, she'll be right.
0: Okay, I I, wanted, uh, I know what the Hogan one is. Uh, Freo coach Ross Lyon says, I know nothing. <laughs>
1: Hogan tunnels out of <laughs> Melbourne.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, that's enough stupidity. Uh, <laughs> and just to finish off this segment quickly, you said you picked up on something Chris Scott was saying?
1: Well, yeah. he Yesterday he came up with uh, something that he said is as Geelong coach goes against some, Geelong, but he has to say that he thinks it's unfair that the grand final is held at the MCG every year, that West Coast, again, is at a distinct disadvantage. He, we look at the recent history of Adelaide, Fremantle... Sydney, West Coast, all going down to Victorian opponents, and he wants to follow the NFL system, whereby five years out, or maybe three years for the AFL, we know where the grand final is going to be. So a nominated ground for the grand final, and he's confident wherever it is around Australia, it'll be a sellout.
0: Yeah, okay. Now, what's well, interesting, and, and I, I must say I've sort of changed philosophically a bit on this one, that, and I'm still in that the logistics sort of mitigate against it being anywhere but the G. But philosophically, you can't argue that... I mean, West Coast in 2015 finished higher than Hawthorne, beat Hawthorne, and then had to play them in a grand final on Hawthorne's home ground. It's happened again to them this year. Um, So they've been serially offended against. But the big issue is attendances, isn't it? I mean, you're talking about a ground that holds 100,000 compared to... Optus Stadium holds 60, Adelaide Oval holds 53 and a half, and every other ground in Australia is less than that. So um, does that become the moment we officially say, well, we don't care how many people go to a grand final, it's basically a TV product anyway? So that worries me a bit. But fundamentally, in terms of integrity, it's pretty hard to argue against that premise that it's this has been unfair on West Coast.
1: And again, in... New South Wales and Queensland, does the SCG host grand finals? That would be an extraordinary place to host a grand final, especially if Sydney weren't playing. Not because it wouldn't be well attended, and that ground is now around 60,000. That's not the problem. But it is so atypical of an AFL ground, Yeah, it would just be very odd for Collingwood and West Coast to be playing their grand final at the SCG. Such so a different dynamic to what they play on during the season.
0: Well the other one there is of course is Stadium Australia which everyone absolutely hates playing on.
1: But that's been knocked down, isn't it?
0: Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. That's a stadium debate up there's been dragging on forever.
1: And just one last one on ticketing and where grand finals are held. I was just amazed, you know, astounded to see last night on T V ads for the NRL Grand Final come and buy a ticket. So they're still advertising in the middle of Grand Final week for people to buy tickets to go to the NRL Grand Final.
0: I wonder if that's uh, because the storms in it, it takes away from the Sydney attendees a bit.
1: Yeah, possibly. But again, you know, we could have a Grand Final between GWS and... I was going to say Gold Coast, but maybe not. (laughs) But we could have... Do you reckon a Gold Coast-Brisbane Grand Final at the MCG? Yeah. Would be a sellout
0: Absolutely Yep Yeah absolutely it, It's it, Any Grand Final For the last 20 years Would have been it's Because it's become an event So people who You know There'll be people are On Saturday That don't give us stuff About footy there, There's no shortage Of event goers And B-list celebrities And Instagram influencers Who want to be seen At the footy So absolutely Wouldn't matter who was playing It would be a sellout Interesting Alright let's move on Foodology Media Watch. Rightio, a few things to uh, throw around in the media segment. Uh, Interesting on Monday night, finally, I didn't go to the Brownlow for the first time. Uh, Pretty sure it was the first time I haven't been since 92. And uh, unfortunately, we we weren't doing our coverage as we have done the last six years. I missed uh, missed it. Yeah, so did I. It's It's always been good fun. Anyway, sat at home and watched it. So first time, really, I've been able to pay full attention to the uh, TV coverage. Uh, I used to roll my eyes a bit when people said, oh, it's the longest night of the year and it's so boring, but I sort of get it now. Gee, it drags. And then they don't sort of help themselves by, in the middle stages, throwing in all these different sort of segments that most of them are pretty unnecessary, really. It just seems a way of sort of getting their various personalities on camera. Um, I've got to say, though, the thing that... And I I made my... I subjected myself to five minutes of it, and it was five minutes too many. The red carpet special before the count. Oh, my God, that is awful.
1: You see, you know, it does encourage a different audience to tune in. Yeah. And I accept it. I accept that that is of interest to non-football people. And you know what? I'm not going to say... The ladies or the wives, because a lot of ladies, wives, girlfriends love football and are there for the football count. But there are people who don't like football but are interested in fashion. And uh, there's a local designer, I think, I can't remember his name, but he provided the outfits for Mark Murphy's wife and a couple of others. And that's apparently important for the industry. All well and good. I think. That has been handed, handled more tastefully than, obviously, the infamous... Uh, rotiss- Rotisserie. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> well, it's been handled with more respect. So yeah. I've got no... I I think that's that it has a role to play. It is part of the night. You know what really annoys me about... It's not the coverage, about the actual count. What? Is that, despite protestations, obviously Gill and McLaughlin and whoever reads the votes each year... ...knows their final outcome, so the super fast forward speed that he reads games that are not central to the result becomes ridiculous...
0: Yeah, well, the uh, after... One vote, take
1: Zubel, two vote, yeah. Jack Stephen.
0: know, that's what they did in round 23 after you knew Mitchell had won. But <laughs> I reckon, well, you know that when we worked together on SCN doing it, I'd be keeping track of it. And every year it seemed to get faster and faster. Yeah. And I suspect that was so they could fit in more of those segments. So how about ditching a few of those segments and slowing the reading of the names yeah. out a bit? How about the... I'm not saying make public the first
1: say, 14 rounds. But rather than read them out, show them as a graphic. So you just get on the screen, round one, with all the votes. So the first 14 rounds are basically done in five minutes. Yeah. And you can take up the vote from there, condense the night into at least a broadcast that's shorter. Yeah. And more respectful of the votes and just... we With 18 teams and... and all those nine games a week, it's just too much to listen to every vote from every game.
0: It is, and I say this every year, but the younger people will not remember this That until, uh pretty sure the first year it happened was 1984, so until 1984, they didn't read out the votes round by round, they read out Once. all the one votes, yeah, yeah. and so you didn't know what game they were for, so... God knows how they would have handled that. But, look, a couple of observations. I mean, it, look, it, it wasn't too bad. But one thing that I found the most annoying, apart from the red carpet, was that they were doing the highlights of each round. It it was too quick. It was like fully 45 seconds to sort of sum up nine games. But then the time that they had, half of that was taken up with not decent highlights of the games but wild and wacky Exactly. stuff, so you See, go, well, wow, this little kid got yeah. hit in the head by a ball. So I mean, those
1: highlights really should be a a sort of a, a teaser for what the votes are going to be. Absolutely. And be part of the, the call, so you know, highlights of the round should be, Tom Mitchell was kept quiet on an afternoon when, and that becomes central to the uh, night, which is the Brownlow count, and, and can be used to tease what's coming up, but they don't do that anymore.
0: Well, unless... Yeah, no, absolutely. And then maybe keep the wacky stuff and then have Gil read out, a yeah. uh, little kid who got hit on the head by the ball. Three votes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, you know, you do have to hand credit. This seems as a no-brainer and obvious, but it's a live broadcast and there is a producer sitting back there with uh, how many cameras would have been filming the night? You know, many, seven, eight cameras. So he's behind the scenes and he's got a big screen with seven or eight shots and he has to call what shot goes to air. So it now seems a no-brainer, but well done to the producer who just picked up the perfect time to cut to Clarko sleeping. I mean, you have to be...
0: Was he sleeping, though, or was yeah, he just oh yeah. looking down at his... I don't know. I don't reckon he was sleeping. I he reckon. was fast asleep. I don't think so, he was. He dozed off. But, but no matter what,
1: you know, given that it was during the acceptance speech... A producer could be, sort of, excused for almost dozing off himself. It's the one time when you don't need to be looking at every image because the camera's fairly fixed on Tom Mitchell, and very rarely would you, you know, go away from that.
0: But didn't the camera go on to Clarko because Mitchell mentioned him at that moment, not because he was asleep? Well, i was just Mitchell saying Mitchell said, "Oh, thanks, Clarko," but it was
1: beautiful. <laughs> it was, it came, it it went to air perfectly it just was perfectly done so we take it as a given but you know what it has to be it has to be um executed well and well done to that part of the broadcast making international news okay because it, it it was shown apparently overseas in you know. Oh, was it? Yeah, oh, <laughs> one of those, one of those sporting, sporting collages of, how about this from down under? <laughs> yeah, it's
0: great how every time Australian football gets shown on uh, overseas it's networks, it's something moment. embarrassing or stupid. Yeah. Um, all right, so I don't think the coverage is going to change much. So let's face it, you're talking about the reading out of 198 sets of votes. It's pretty hard to dress it up, really.
1: Yeah, so what would your changes be?
0: Oh, what I think I there
1: needs to be player cam where one player is sort of you know has the camera on him the entire night, so you see him sort of walking <laughs> steadily at the start of the night, and then the camera wobbling into the men's toilet. <laughs>
0: well, one of, I'm stonking. One of the great, one of the great uh, bit if if you want to go looking for this the um it was a year that could have been champions hosted the grand final marathon yep. i think it was 1986 and they went to the Brownlow and filmed um great. The, and, and it was just open slather no one cared so you have a look they're talking to half a dozen they talked to trevor barker and he's flying yeah. and he talks about they asked him how the meal was and he goes oh the the meat was still mooing um <laughs> And they took, uh, Barry Round has just won the, uh, premiership with VFA premiership with Williamstown. So Barry Round turned up with his wings jump yeah, on yeah, under yeah. the suit. Yeah. But the, uh, I think Darren Mullane's there and he's flying. And the last thing I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning is Dougie Hawkins is absolutely flying. And at one stage, Dougie's sitting, he's sitting on the floor. He's had a skinful, Dougie and that sort of finishes off with Dougie going, It's still on YouTube, so have a look. That was back in the sort of raw, uh, unedited um, days of Brownlow Metal coverage before it became the glamour event that it's known as today.
1: Before somebody would get on their high horse and say, it's disgusting, it advocates Bing's drinking.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, All right, let's move on. Um, I saw a story the other day uh, which I had sort of various uh, thoughts about, and it was... Uh, Former colleague of mine Caroline Wilson was uninvited from a Melbourne Football Club grand final week media breakfast, which she'd been a guest at for 20 years. And apparently the order came down from President Glenn Bartlett to Ryan Larkin, Melbourne's media manager, to uninvite Caro because Bartlett wasn't happy about a story she wrote in The Age on the weekend. to be fair, the story I didn't think was that. You know, it was about Melbourne's, uh, ascent. Um, but, you know, in typical Caro fashion, there was digs left, right, and centre. And she was talking about the, I think, the less than amicable at times relationship between outgoing CEO Peter Jackson and Bartlett. Uh, and I think that, I think that was what miffed him anyway. She referred to that and he said uninvite her from the breakfast. So she was, uninvited. Now, I'm not a big rap for that. What sort of raised my eyebrows was the fact that it ended up being a story. And I thought, I don't know, am I just getting older? Is the media getting too insular? Do people really care about this stuff? Because I've got to say, funny and I'm not saying that this was great or acceptable or whatever, but journos getting banned from various functions or clubs or whatever, it's like there used to be half a dozen things like this a season. Uh, you know, I can remember even in last year's Juno's getting banned from clubs or not allowed to interview this club's players because they're pissed off with, you know, Juno X. Why is this a story?
1: I think it is a story. I think it's poor form by Glenn Bartlett. I don't think that Caro would have been the one to promulgate the story. I think she is the story. Somebody else probably picked up on it.
0: I think she talked about it on 3AW. That's how it sort of came up. So 3AW wrote something about it on in their online site and then right, that was so, picked up by okay. someone else.
1: All right, so maybe she mentioned it to somebody who then said oh, oh, just to explain how this works to people out there who are sort of curious as how the media works. So probably Caro comes in and says oh, I've been uninvited from the Melbourne... Uh, breakfast and somebody at 3AW said oh can we discuss that on air and she probably would have said yeah sure bring it up you know I'm happy to happy to run with it because um, you know, stuff them and now that's not a Caro dynamic that's just a, a dynamic that uh, somebody would bring it up and then be asked do you want to talk about it on air and that person would then weigh up whether or not they want to be, have it made public so Caro obviously comfortable for it to be discussed on air she would have been um, to, she would have been courted prior to it going on air as to whether or not it was okay. So, it goes to air and it does not show Melbourne in a good light. Now, as you say, there are a number of times during the year where journos fall in and out of favour with clubs. But, this one has been made public and it does not come, it's not made public all that often, so maybe members of the public would be shocked that um, sort of uh, autocrat-like club presidents can, you know, wave their scepter and say, I am not pleased. She shall not come to our breakfast. You know, she is in favour, he is in favour, he is and he is not. And I don't think it shows Melbourne in a very good light or Glenn Bartlett in a good light because there are going to be positive and negative stories about your club all year and just
0: thick skin it, Yeah, no, no, that that goes without saying. But I I just, I still... The fact
1: that it's been made public, I think, embarrasses... Glen and Melbourne, even yeah. though it's
0: not uncommon. But would the. I'm questioning whether there is public interest in it. And is the public interest in it because what you say, what it should be, which is that Melbourne are sort of being a bit, or their presence being a bit high and mighty? Or is it just the. Um, is prurience the right word here? Just the sort of uh, cattiness yeah. angle that gets people in? Which isn't the right reason to expose them to the story.
1: Well, no, I think it is. I, th- I think it is that that sort of. Um...
0: <sighs> you know what I'm saying? Like, no, what I I, ha- I, th- I, th- I think. It I don't is... think the punter is going to be interested because oh, Melbourne are uh, acting above and beyond the level they should. Uh, I think the punter's going to be interested. Oh, carro got barred from a breakfast.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I think for some people it'll be a Caroline Wilson story, mm. where it actually isn't. It is. It is the fact that again, and it strikes to me at the heart of clubs being run by the the person at the top of AFL clubs does remain an honorary role to non-professionals who are it's it's fascinating really isn't it? At the very top of the pyramid of every club is the club president who actually is not a paid professional um, club you know, a, a, a corporate head, he is in fact, in many cases, or she, the, you know, the the best heeled most willing supporter of the club. And it's funny because those people are the ones that above and beyond anything beat the blood of the club. So it's, you're offending Glenn Bartlett, the huge Melbourne fan, or you're offending, you know, Eddie, the Collingwood fan, at the top of the tree at every club is a non-paid club diehard.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the interesting thing, well, not in Glenn Bartlett's case. I mean, he's a uh, Western Australian, I think he's a Western Australian, who who played for West Coast. Okay, all right.
1: Um, so. he, oh, but, yeah, so that is, I'm, I'm, but I'm talking about the presidents of clubs, you know. Yeah,
0: so. but that, that, the thing, that's the thing that sort of surprised me about Bartlett's sensitivity to the criticism, because he played VFL football, you know, like you think when you get to that level, you sort of get used to a bit of criticism. Anyway, it's, you know, I mean, I just, I did think, you know, wow, if we're sort of running stories like that, there's going to be a lot of, a lot more cases of media talking about the media, exactly. which, one, which, in fact, we're doing right now.
1: Well, just one other thing. Are these breakfasts... Because people wouldn't even know that Melbourne were running a...
0: No, no, that's the thing. I mean, it's just... Uh, I'm, I think I went to one a long time ago, before I was disinvited. I think it is basically it is a group of media around a table. I don't think it's like a public event at all.
1: Exactly. Are these... Because... Uh, you know, who knew that such a thing existed? Yeah, well, exactly. Are these really put on to to court, stroke, thank, stroke, keep sweet with the media? Is pretty much. It, is it, you know, that sort of corporate... Um,
0: yeah, pretty much. Is yeah. it that,
1: that sort of corporate um, gift giving or, you know, a reward for being on side?
0: Yeah, well, there's a bit of that about in uh, football and the world at large. So um,
1: what's the best thing you ever received from a club for, you know, keeping sweet? Was it a meal? Was it a, what you know, clubs clubs oh, also... No,
0: probably put, stories.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm saying beyond the story, but club, oh. club put on sort of... I've, I was, for example, invited to a, a special day for Melbourne Storm for the media.
0: Oh no! I've and it had was it... great
1: fun. There was breakfast. There was a meal. Yeah. Actually, it actually was lunch, and then we got to go out and be part of training. Yeah, yeah. and practice. You know, we we each had kicks over the. So we had, you know, when you kick for a k- extra point. Yeah, and everyone who got one got given a, a Melbourne Storm ball.
0: Yeah. Now I've done I've done stuff like even in recent years I've uh, Gold Coast have flown exactly. a few well, of us up. Well, to,
1: I'm saying that sort of thing.
0: But but it was, I I actually got useful stories out of it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a, a complete junket. Um, but, yeah, look, stuff like that still happens. Just want to finish off this week. Um, this may or may not be the last ever episode of the footy show. Yeah, that's um, right. So we've talked about that. You know, whatever you think of it now, um, it has been a Melbourne institution, and um, and um some people may find this hard to believe, but, you know, early days, it it was... Uh, it wasn't a lot different in some ways very early on to what the front bar is now. And I think there's various reasons for that. They used more experienced players as panellists. Uh, I think the people driving the show were less powerful, fated figures in Melbourne, and so that they, they sort of hadn't disappeared into that bubble of self-absorption. So there was a bit more... Um, What's the word? You know, uh, toasting of the game as such. I think that's sort of one of the ways in which the footy show lost its way.
1: And before it became hackneyed, Trevor Marmalade really was the front bar.
0: Yeah. And it was, yeah.
1: it was innovative and fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but um, as an addendum to that, it may or may not be the last time we see Sam Newman in that setting. So he has no doubt been a cornerstone of that show. And, uh, interesting last Saturday night, finally, that, um, we both had an involvement with, uh, three triple R's, the party show, which Headley Gritter has hosted on triple R for about the last 25 years. It's a, another Melbourne institution, albeit we'll G- a G- bit lower fu- key.
1: It was funny. Now, when we say both had an involvement, you are a regular part of it. You, you were in studio. I just, uh, Sort of was a phone chat for a few minutes, but you are a regular part with Dermy.
0: Well, it's it, <laughs> very funny. What happens? Okay. So for probably the last six or seven years now, Headley gets Dermy and myself to come in. It's pretty loose. So they hand the crownies around. Uh, pretty sure Headley dashes off at the a few sort of uh, performance breaks to have a bit of a spliff out the back. So it's fairly loose <laughs> atmosphere. Uh, Carl's not impressed by that. Don't do drugs, uh, people.
1: But it was very funny. you got live music in another studio. We have,
0: yeah. Um, uh, uh, Karina um, comes in and recites finished proverbs uh, before they go to the music break. That's not finished
1: proverbs. That's actual proverbs in the language of... Finland. I said Finnish. I'm then? saying people oh, yeah, might sort right. of think, oh, Finnish. Oh, no, yeah. it actually is in, in Finnish. It's extraordinary. Intriguing
0: language. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, you could say it's very loose and we all get to swear a lot. So um, it's good fun. But sometimes there's a third guest and I walked in at, you know, five to 12, ready to do the show. And uh, lo and behold, who's there? Sam Newman was the third <laughs> guest. So we had this two hours from midnight to 2am at the Triple R Studios in East Brunswick, uh, with myself, Dermot Burton and Sam Newman. And Sam, um, was a very interesting, um, version of Sam Newman. He recited his entire, uh, school, uh, roll call, which consisted of about a hundred names alphabetically, rattled them all off. Without missing a beat, which remember goes back over fifty, well over fifty years, he uh, he's a Frank Sinatra devotee, and he recited in full a toast that Richard Burton had given to Frank Sinatra, uh, which was pretty amazing, and he was variously appalled and amazed and. Um, at at things being said and sort of uh, publicly wondering what he was actually doing there on the show as we interviewed various people. The, it yeah. was a really fun couple of hours.
1: The one thing that came out... Is that Sam mustn 't get out of Brighton very often, and he certainly doesn 't get north of the Yarra very often oh, no, because no. he was very worried about his car he being was. parked in East Brunswick I think he 's confusing Brunswick with Broadford well, because, uh, because Brunswick is sort of inner city it's hipster. Hip, correct, and he was worried that the ty- the wheels would be removed from his car or his car would be stolen, or he would be assaulted.
0: Well, I said to him at one In stage. the car said, park. Sam, this is Hipsterville. Your car's going to be fine now. If you'd ridden a bike here, you yeah, might that, have
1: some problems. Yeah, that's right. You know, you you might come back and your bike would be painted a pastel colour and <laughs> yeah.
0: have all its gears removed. And there'd be a little parcel of tofu or something for you to take <laughs> home.
1: Yeah, it was very, it was very good. Right. So, did Sam give you any? Um, intel as to whether or not it will be on next year. No, not really. And whether really. or not he actually quit. Because, well, what, what, was that speech all about. Well, I asked
0: him that quite genuinely. I, I said, I couldn't work out what you were saying, Sam. And he, and he sort of got rather annoyed and said, well, it was very obvious. And then Doomy and I just repeatedly for the next two hours asked him whether he was quitting the footy show or not because I still don't think we know. The last thing I heard was that, uh, well, last thing I read was that Channel 9 um intend to keep him on the books anyway. So it won't be the last we'll see of him. But it, it may be the last time we see Sam on the footy show and yeah. the footy show.
1: Well, what I've heard is that the footy show, um, if it comes back next year, will have a completely different look and a completely different feel. And the best thing I sort of read or heard about it was, yeah, the footy show will have a completely different look and a completely different feel next year. And in that time slot will be the new reworked footy show called CSI New York.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a real rework. All right, let's get on with it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. All right, this is it, the big one. 2.30 p.m. Saturday afternoon, MCG, Collingwood West Coast Grand Final. Be there. Let's talk about the game, how it breaks down finally. So... They've played each other twice this season. West Coast have won both by 35 points at the G in round 17. And then three weeks ago in the qualifying final by 16 points at Optus Stadium. Um, I think uh, they weren't necessarily identical games. Collingwood, I think, showed to me that they were uh, had improved again in the qualifying final on where they were when the Eagles played him in Round 17, the, the butts for me about those Eagles wins are more of the of the view that West Coast can probably get better. Um, now, in the Round 17 game, Kennedy and Darling were both just coming back from injury, and I think Lacrae was as well. And Darcy Moore, interestingly, because we'll talk about whether he comes in or not, Darcy Moore played on Kennedy and did a really good job on him. But nonetheless, Darling Kennedy both ended up with three goals each. Qualifying final, they were both pretty well held. Goldsack did a, a really good job on Darling early. But like the opening batsman plugging away and playing himself into form, he got better the longer the game went. And I thought Darling and Kennedy were both pivotal in the last quarter. Kennedy ended up with 2-4. So he could have kicked more than he did. So I think that's a real issue for Collingwood at selection. Um, those two. The other big... Uh, constant in those two games has been Jeremy McGovern. He absolutely tore them to shreds, uh, with that intercept marking ability in the round 17 win. And then early on in the qualifying final, looked like he was going to do it again. Chris Mayne went on to him as a defensive forward and contained him a bit. But, uh, they are the key men for me. Collingwood have their own key men. Uh, Brady Grundy looms large for them. Mason Cox suddenly looms large, literally and metaphorically, for them as well. Um, how do you see it playing out? All
1: right, these are things, of the sort of givens that will happen. Um, interestingly, I'll beat the MCG for the sell-out crowd, not on Saturday, but the week after for WWE. And there's going to be a touch of WWE, about the grand final, because as in the preliminary final, uh, there's going to be some tag team um, heavying on one man. And that will be, as was Max Gorn attacked by Lysette and Vardy, so Brodie Grundy will be attacked by Lysette and Vardy. And I think the fact that they have each other as support means that they can really go Brody Grundy in the first part of the game, physically, in the ruck, in every contest... So expect that to happen. Now, Brady Grundy's been hugely influential. I think played a, a big role in the... Uh, uh, in fact, I don't think. He was central to the uh, defeat of Richmond. Oh,
0: yeah, it was fantastic. He cannot... He
1: will not be able to have the same
0: influence. Just on that, I'm not, I'm not yep. cutting you off here, but that, the other element to the Lysette-Vardy thing is that the one who isn't in the ruck can perhaps creep forward and... and Shall it stretch Collingwood's defence well even further?
1: Well, that is why they will be tempted to play Darcy Moore or Ben Reed. I think the weather forecast will finally make force Collingwood's hand, and they will, I think, um, lean to a more conservative approach and go for no change. It's hard to change a combination that has been um, so impressive in the finals. That first game against West Coast was very impressive. Mm. You can very comfortably say that that game, if played at the MCG, would have fallen the way of Collingwood. Yeah. So they will be comfortable in playing the same lineup, and that means that they could be stretched by Vardy or Lysette going forward. Conditions do play a role there, but that will be an interesting dynamic. To me, that uh, yes, Rowan, you just want no, to on no, go, go. To me, the halfback flankers of both teams have been. Key to the victories. Lagden and Howe, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Howe will be playing. We'll find out very early whether or not, because he this spring-heeled Jack is, you know, you would think he would need to be, you know, fully fit and firing to be able to influence as he does. I wonder whether that ankle injury will curb that at all. I know that Shannon Hearn is in career best form. My goodness, he was wonderful against Melbourne. So I'm looking for them to both play key roles. I know McGovern's important, but don't undersell Barras, the mm, other McGovern. Yeah, yeah. Um, and look, an important player, but again, it's a quite. It becomes a sort of a marking. Backline for the West Coast Eagles. I look to Josh Thomas to have influence at the fall of the ball. The You know, Stevenson is an important player, very hard to man up on. Quick
0: and damaging. Well, I'll chip in there. I think um, what is crucial for Collingwood is to bring that same level of physical pressure that they brought to the preliminary final, particularly their forwards, because... West Coast is the I I'm going to just say this even though it's not a word the kickingest team in the AFL. They really rely on setting up their attack with uncontested marking and possession around half back. So if the Collingwood forwards can make life really difficult for them and and hurry those kicks, not allow them those uncontested marks to set up their attacks, they're halfway there. So that that's that's a given. That's something that has to happen. I think the midfield battle now I think I, we might have said this last Sunday night, but I think we both agree that if collingwood Collingwood to win will if Collingwood wins, they will have triumphed in the midfield. I think we both feel that if West Coast can at least break even in the midfield, they will probably win yep um now, the Battle of the midfields is intriguing because you look at Collingwood's and Collingwood's probably has more numbers, and it probably has a fraction more quality. But I don't think it's that lopsided. So the Pies, you're talking about Steelside Bottom, who's had one of the great final series, no doubt about it. Taylor Adams, hugely important in terms of contested ball. Scott Pendlebury and Adam Treloar, they're they're your big quartet. Then in addition, you've got Tom Phillips, vastly improved player, Braden Sire, who has been a bit of a revelation. I'm I'm amazed he hasn't sort of had more publicity given he's been getting 30-plus touches in finals. Levi Greenwood, who can do a really effective shutdown role and and to that end probably did so again last week. So who would he go to? Um, I suspect Shuey. Mm-hmm. Uh You know, I, I can't remember who he's picked up in previous games, but that would strike me or uh, Shuey uh, or Yo perhaps.
1: Okay, so speak well. That's interesting because Yo himself can be given run with roles.
0: Well, I was just going to say, beyond those guys, then there's the guys that can go through and do these sort of short cameo midfield stints. Duguay, Varco, Aish, Main.
1: How about the potato?
0: Who's that? Potato crisp. Oh, well, another one. Yeah, I mean, he's great off half back, but. Collingwood, you K- know... Kicked two important early goals last week? Two-thirds of Collingwood's team can play midfield. Yes. So it's a it's a, a real ace to have up the sleeve. Then again, West Coast... I think most people, if you said West Coast midfielders, would probably give you three names. But in actual fact, they've got a lot too that people don't think about. So Shuey, wonderful player. Jack Redden's had an outstanding season. He's really important to them. Dom Sheed, I think he... Best
1: football now,
0: correct. That's what I was going to say. He has really sort of got back about he's to... How kicking
1: against Melbourne? He's a good get, player.
0: I've always liked him.
1: Geez, he's. I think he's really blossomed in the last month.
0: Yeah, no, I agree entirely. Uh, Elliot Yo, class act, and a tall midfielder too. See, he can he can use his um, his marking ability in a midfield sense as well. So I,
1: I get a sense that Adam Simpson with Yo and Hutchings, yeah.
0: Or put, Hutchings, I was getting to. Yeah. yeah,
1: put them on players. Yes, they run with them, mm. but almost to take them to the ball, almost to to get them into the game a lot. So it's not as
0: much that they're there to blanket. It's yeah. that
1: they're there to be where the ball is.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So H- very, They must be very fit, those two. Hutchings, another one, and a vastly improved player. And I think fitness is something that Hutchings has really worked on. Then you got Chris Marston, Lewis Jetter, Liam Duggan, who's been playing off half-back, but he can go through there. And then, I'll just throw this out there. Now, we're talking about uh, Liam Ryan and Willie Rioli as the small forwards, but they can take a spell through the centre of the ground as well. So,
1: I mean, grand finals have not been kind to the Rioli-Ryan
0: types. Correct. Well, except if you're Cyril Rioli. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that small... No, and that's something I've considered, and, and that's why I'm sort of throwing that in there, because I think Adam Simpson will be thinking about that too. And you maybe what could happen is they see how it unfolds, and if they're getting a bit frozen down in a forward pocket, not getting the ball, throw them onto the ball for five minutes and see what happens. So I think they've got a few tricks up their sleeve as well. So... I don't see this mid I, I see this midfield battle as being quite even, in which case it might come down to the influence of the Ruckman, Grundy against that dual pronged attacker Lysette yep. and Vardy.
1: Yeah, look, good analysis. I grand finals have not been kind to key forwards because there's so much pressure on grand final day, both exerted by the players and implied by the afternoon. Which means delivery into the forward line is Haphazard. Yeah, is, um, you know, unreliable, haphazard, a good word. It has been good to the rangy runner. Now, I'm not just talking about Indigenous players like Peter Matera or Michael Long who have flourished. I'm also talking about Aussie Jones, Colin Robertson. Lewis Jeddah has an opportunity in this resurrection of a career career sort of um, lost almost – In his time between Sydney and West Coast... Well, he's he's had
0: one really good grand final and one real stinker.
1: Correct. So he has an opportunity for resurrection in a position that is highly influential, the outside runner. West Coast, to me, the game falls... So my tip comes now. The game falls to the, the strongest currency in grand finals, which is pressure. It is pressure being applied longest and hardest... And what can be done with the spilled ball? What can be done with the opportunities created? And to me, Sidebottom, Trelaw, Taylor Adams are best served at the ball, at at the tumbling, fumbling ball to make good of it. Goey's well placed to make good of it. So I'm tipping Collingwood because I think that West Coast rely on a return from the key forwards, the two talls, or the smalls, that can't be relied upon in normal means. In other words, kick, mark, goal ain't going to happen. Fumbled ball, goal will, and Collingwood's best placed.
0: All right, give us a margin.
1: Collingwood by 17 points. My Norn Smith medalist, Taylor Adams, and for those who want a bit of value for the first goal, because there is a bit of value to be had, I'm going to go first goal to... West Coast big man, Nathan Vardy.
0: All right. Um, I'm going for West Coast. Uh, I I think your scenario is very valid, but I'm taking the view that um, talent wins out. And I think West Coast structurally, I think they have more natural talent across the park. And I think structurally they have the weapons that can really hurt Collingwood. It's a reasonable point about key forwards and grand finals. I don't think it's going to be a wet game. I think the forecast is dry. I think that helps the key forwards. I think the experience of beating Collingwood on G really helps them. So they've beaten them two out of two this year. I think there are a dozen players in the West Coast lineup who played in the two fifteen Grand Final and are suitably chastened and itching at the chance to get it right this time. I think Adam Simpson also is one of them, and I, th- I think this will be a very very determined west coast bunch which won't be nearly as susceptible to that sort of pressure game and and uh, the traditional view over here of west coast sides i think they're a really resilient group um no disrespect to collingwood i think the pies have been fantastic this year and that's that's why i think it'll be a genuinely good game but i i think that west coast has been the better side fractionally over the course of the season I think they'll win. So I'm going for West Coast by eight points. My Norm Smith medalist, I'm going for Elliot Yo, And first goal, I'm going for Jamie Cripps. On footyology, never again. All right, my one's easy this week. Uh, like I said, I watched the Brownlow coverage. I watched the red carpet. Never again will I watch the red carpet. I, I actually nearly physically vomited, funny. I just, I couldn't handle it, it was just, look, I know it's nice for people that like fashion, but just go and have a good night, I don't want to know who you're wearing, or what you're wearing, or why you're wearing it, or, I don't want to hear it, I just, I want to see which best player in the competition is going to win the Brownlow, I don't need this stuff, I don't like the way it's taken over the, uh, the importance of the occasion. I don't like a pseudo-fashion event. I like a football award. Call me old-fashioned, but that's what I am. Never again will I watch the Brownlow red carpet.
1: No surprise from a man who, if described as a fashion plate, would be described as a very flimsy paper plate. Fashion ain't your thing, is it,
0: mate? I don't even have a plate. I just need it off my <laughs> of
1: <the> hand. <laughs> Straight out of the buffer, you do.
0: All right, your turn. My
1: never again is never again should we have a public holiday in Melbourne on the Friday before the grand final. Not to say that people should work on that Friday, but it is un-Australian for this state government to take away the right for Melburnians or Victorians to take a sickie. (laughs) It's only fun. A day off before the grand final is only fun if it is forbidden fruit. Once you make it a public holiday, it becomes de rigueur. The whole fun is ringing in the day before the grand final with a preposterous illness or reason why you're not coming to work. And unfortunately, that privilege, that right, that inalienable right for a Melbourneian to lie to his employer has been denied us.
0: Yeah, no, good call. <laughs> good call. I agree with it. Rowan, Roco, Footyology,
1: of course, your website means that you have the last word on this year's Grand Final.
0: All right, well, I was just going to say, have a great Grand Final, everyone. Don't forget to tune in post-game Sunday, 6 p.m. this week will be our post-Grand Final wrap-up of Footyology TV, live on our Facebook page. Come on,
1: Roman, I said the last word, not words or sentences.
0: Well, it's the Battle of the Birds, this one, the Magpies and the Eagles, and finally, of course, everyone knows... B-b-bird's the word. Well, I wear a bird, bird, bird. But bird's a word. I wear a bird, bird, bird. When a bird is a word, I wear a bird, bird. The birds is word, a oh well. A bird, bird, bird. The birds is word, a oh well. A bird, bird, bird. Well, a bird is a word. Chris, don't you know about the bird? Make everybody know that the bird is the word. A oh, well, a bird, bird, bird. The bird is the word. Hey, guy behind the counter. The bird is the word. Hey, frightened little child. The bird is the word. Lady on the toilet. Well! The bird is the word. Hey, don't you know
1: about the bird? Sure. Everybody knows that the bird is the word.
0: A oh, well, a bird. Bird. A bird's a word. Oh, well, a bird. Bird. a word. Oh, well, a bird. Again. Again. I love repetition. This <laughs>